You beauty. G'day guys and welcome to Dreams Into Success. I'm your host, Chris Goodrope, and each episode we bring you an inspiring story or message that will encourage you to face your fears and live your dreams. Before we get started today, I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors here at Dreams Into Success, Robert Oatley Wines and Rode Microphones. And don't forget to visit my website, chrisgoodrope.com. Follow this podcast on Instagram at Dreams Into Success and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Dreams Into Success if you want to watch the episodes. Or if you prefer to listen, you can find me at Apple iTunes or Spotify so you don't miss an episode. This is episode number seven with triple Olympic gold medalist and world record holder, Stephanie Rice. Today I'm excited to have one of the most successful Australian Olympic swimmers we have ever seen. The golden girl of the pool took us all by storm as she dominated the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games, bringing home three gold medals and smashing three world records at the same time. However, despite having the world at her feet, brand and ambassador deals lining up, sponsorships to choose from, there was something missing with life after swimming. A lovable, down-to-earth Aussie girl with a fun and energetic personality, she's now giving her time to servicing others and helping people grow through her passion for personal development. I'm delighted to have this superstar with us. Please welcome the amazing Stephanie Rice. Oh, what a beautiful introduction. Thank you. That was so sweet. Uh, That's okay, Steph. Welcome and thanks so much for coming on. Um, You're actually my first female guest on Dreams Into Success and first gold medalist. So, um, yeah, there's a first for a few things here. I like being being a winner, so that's fine. It comes naturally to you. Yeah, I try anyway. (laughs) Hey, Steph. I have so much I want to talk to you about, and, and, um, but let's start with swimming. Mm-hmm. You're a two-time Olympian, 2008 Beijing, 2012 London, three-time Olympic gold medalist, five-time world record holder. You've got an Order of Australia medal, your International Swimming Hall of Fame inductee, Sport Australia Hall of Fame inductee. I've left out so much more. <laughs> but, uh, how, Those have, are the highlights. Have, <laughs> just the highlights. Have you had a chance to sort of sit back and reflect and, and think to yourself, geez, I've had an amazing career in the pool? Um, I think last year was really the first time that properly happened for me post um, swimming and getting into retirement because I was um, inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame and then also the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. And so both of those events were kind of like going back down memory lane and um, reliving that life that was. And it's really interesting. Like I still don't feel that what I achieved in swimming is real to me. Like mm. I think about it sometimes because I think about other people that have won gold medals, like multiple gold medals, and I'm like, oh, my God, they are incredible. And then I'm like, but you have those, Steph. <laughs> it doesn't feel real. Like, mine don't feel real. It feels like um, like sort of thinking about a different person. It doesn't mm. feel like it was me. Um, and I think part of that is to do with the fact that in order to like move on from sport, you have to really like separate that identity of yourself in the pool. And so I almost feel like I've had to separate so much to be like uh, mentally and emotionally able to step into the next phase of life. But then I've yeah. almost forgotten so much of myself as an athlete. So it's kind of like pros and cons to it all. But uh, I feel like what I achieved in the pool and I was only looking at a video the other day and seeing my parents in the stands, like that's the thing that hits me now. And I think Amazing. Yeah. moving into that, you think far out. Imagine having a daughter like go to the Olympics yeah. and be there and like how epic that would be. So it feels more epic for them <laughs> than it does for me. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Like, uh, and I can imagine, I'm so glad you mentioned the identity piece. I'd love, I can't wait to touch on that a little bit later as well. So, so Steph, where did it all begin then? Like, have you always had this love for swimming and being in the water and uh, from a young age? Yeah, for sure. Uh, When I was younger, I just was such a water baby. And then um, as I kind of got older, I definitely did all the learn to swim, which most kids in Australia do. Yeah. Um, 
but I just loved it. I loved playing in the pool. I would be in the pool all hours. Like I would have like the wrinkles on your fingers when you get out of the pool. Like, and I would play games with myself as a kid, like with the creepy crawly and like, it was just, it was, I loved it. I loved being in the water. Um, and then, but I always, I think that that love was always there. Like I was never uh, winning stuff as, um, you know, 10 year old or anything like that. That didn't really kick in until I was 13 or 14. Um, but I just loved it. Like I loved going to the pool. I loved my friends at the pool. And I always felt like my swimming friends knew me, whereas my school friends it was like they didn't know this huge part of me. Yeah. And therefore we didn't really relate. Um, and so I always felt like I had big dreams. And it never, as a kid, you don't, really get it you just feel like we just don't really get along yeah so th- so that obviously was your dream then was it growing up Steph yeah Definitely. How, how, how important is it for everyone out there to is it to have a dream like that and it oh. may not be for you it was like you're you're elite like that's something that such a small amount of people achieve right. but even for those listeners out there who um may not be able to get to the Olympic Games or achieve that gold medal. How important is it to have a dream? Oh my God, you've got to. Like, I think, I think there's a big difference between dreams and goals. And dreams are kind of like the, you know, limitless um, aspiration that you put on yourself. And you haven't yet thought about, oh, but I couldn't do that or that would never happen to me. It's just like letting your mind and your imagination run free. And as a kid, we all have them. And it's, so real and so obvious and mine was to be an olympian and i just managed to be able to turn that dream into a goal and then put the stepping stones in place to get there but even now i dream about like certain things that i would love and you know you sort of can quickly i think as an adult quickly walk yourself out of the dream Mm. or think like oh that's like a movie that's like never going to happen um i think you've got to have something that you're looking forward to especially in times like now because there's just got to be light at the end of the tunnel and it has to excite you. Absolutely. Like I was, and just to give you an example, I would, would have been working full time in the AFL circle. So no idea in my entire life would, if you had said in 2020, I'd be doing a podcast and I'd be sitting down with Steph Rice and all these other people. You'd be like, what is going on? You know, so I couldn't agree with you anymore. It's so important to, even if, like you said, those dreams as a kid, it seems to be such a big always seems to be a big dream doesn't it but it's so important to like you said to have those dreams even now as we're getting older and you know as you said look looking forward to something all the time you've got to and i think like i think as you get older and what i'm really trying to embrace more and and times like this especially so is just having that adaptability as you talk about like you don't really know where the next six to 12 months are going to lead and even more so now. So it's kind of about like having a dream and having a goal that you're getting called towards, but then sort of navigating the path and being flexible and adaptable as things roll around and change. And that's the way I try to embrace it. And I feel like that always comes back to then mindfulness practices and aspects like that where yeah. allow you to be a bit more in the moment, but also always having a vision for the future. Absolutely. So what would then, Steph, what would your advice be then to that, say, 12 or 13-year-old girl who wants to follow in, in Stephanie Rice's footsteps? What, what would your message <sighs> be to her? For me, it was like always about believing in yourself. Like, mm-hmm. and I think if that's, that's always been, and more more so back then, but even still now, like I'm sure in 10 years, if I looked back, I would say the same thing basically. Um, But yeah, just believe in yourself. Everything will work out. Like you've got this um, just sort of more encouragement for myself than anything else. It wasn't about talent and it wasn't about skill or working hard. It was just like that internal belief that you will be okay and that you'll make it and you yeah. know all of those things that I think everybody needs to work on absolutely and I think that's so true obviously having fun along the way you obviously loved it you know as well um but I think it's so true as well to have that belief because knowing that you can achieve or you know if you work hard enough you can achieve you know yeah. you absolutely and I think the difference for me like in my swimming career was Everything was enjoyable and new and fun uh, leading up into basically from like a kid to Beijing because it was like the stepping stone just kept 
growing and increasing and I progressively got better and better. Um, and then just those little steps give you the confidence and the motivation, like, Oh, you could do it. Like aim for the next step. It wasn't as though as a 14 year old, I looked at my goal and thought, Oh shit, there's way too many. Like I'm way too far away from that. Um, I sort of was like not even focused on that end goal. It was just the next little goal, like Mm. the six month goal. And that always just helped build momentum. Whereas then after Beijing, uh, it just, everything changed because I was then obviously um, super successful and the one to beat. And it became like uh, pros and cons, but like I was so fortunate to have all the work I had outside the pool and that revenue stream for me was incredible. Mm. But then it was like, oh, now I have two full-time jobs. Like now I have a full-time job as a brand ambassador and I have a full-time job as an athlete. And it was just impossible to balance and give everything the time that everyone wanted um and i just felt like i was always letting people down or i was always compromising in some way and that then became like a job like it was my mind wasn't like oh this is so fun it was like oh shit i'm disappointing somebody or i've missed out on this or haven't worked hard enough because i'm too tired from all this brand ambassador work and, and then that then became not fun and it showed in my results as well. That's a great message, Steph, because like you could probably now in hindsight, you can look back, you would have had this, again, this elite athlete mindset was, you know, of all the training, everything that you've done and everything you're so used to, but then you've got all these other things thrown in the way. It would have been a new learning curve. I mean, I'm what am I 34? I'm still, I'm still dealing with all these other things as well. This whole learning curve, stuff getting thrown at you you know it would have been a really difficult time to deal with all those things wouldn't it it was really hard and um because um i think because of the level of success i reached the people i had around me also it was new for them Mm. it was like not as though i had somebody that was like we've done this before this is how it works this is how we'll schedule everything everyone was learning in real time and um like me my coach and my managers were all sort of having to try and make this work and it it really was just too much to handle on top of that social media was born and it was a new baby and so no one knew how to navigate all of that as well and so i mean there's a lot of screw-ups along the way um but that's fine um (laughs) you know what (laughs) anyway all those 12 and 13 year old girls out there go keep following your dreams (laughs) keep being a swimmer you enjoy it Absolutely. Like, it's not about, um, I definitely would never turn anyone away. I'm like the biggest advocate of people going after their goals. In hindsight, as you mentioned, I definitely would have done things differently because I know more now. Um, But I think my love and passion for improving, like I knew after Beijing, I still had more to prove in myself, which is why I kept going. Mm. Um, And I was disappointed that I wasn't really able to execute that because I knew I could have done more. But um, I think what what I learned is that there's such a close connection between external stress and how that sort of develops in your body. And, Mm. And I then got so many injuries and it was like having to deal with all this stuff I realized I need to kind of just focus on what's important for me instead of everybody else. Mm. And that was a good life lesson. That's a great life lesson. I can't believe we're getting this far into the conversation already, Steph, but this is great. I'm a deep deep diver. I'm like, let's just go deep. I love it. I absolutely love it. Hey, Steph, can you believe it's the 4th of August? We are meant to be in the middle of Tokyo Olympic Games, which is just crazy. And, um, you know, for me growing up, I was fortunate. My dad went to the Olympic Games as well. Oh, and amazing. I, I grew up just loving the Games. It was the best two weeks. And, I, you know, everything about it from the swimming, the athletics to everything, you know. But can you take us back, Steph, to the moment in the lead up to your first Olympic Games at the Australian Selection Trials? You go out and you break the world record in both of your main events, the 500 metre and the 200 metre individually medley. I mean, wow, for a starters, what a, what a statement these go out and make. Um, can you describe the feeling like when you touch the wall and you look up, for one, it's a bloody, it's a world record, and two, that feeling of, guess what, I'm, I'm actually going to the Olympic Games. Can you, can you talk me through that? 
Yeah, it was, um, that was a life changing experience that, that meet for sure. Um, and it's, it's really funny actually, because the 400 medley is on the first day of the Olympics and it's, arguably the hardest event on the program and the one that I was most talented at, which is super annoying. Um, and so it's always hard to start a meet with your main event on the first day. Cause I don't know what it's like in other sports so much, but, um, you sort of want to get out there, get the experience, like do we would always say like blow the cobwebs out like get yeah. a feel for everything before Absolutely. like yeah. the main thing totally get whereas, it yeah. like whereas for me it was like well too bad here we go first event like and you don't know how you've prepared because you sort of haven't had a chance to put it all on the line yet so i remember i always talk with my coach right before i would go out for a race like 10 minutes before the race and it was always just like a two minute chat and for some reason that has never happened before, he was saying to me, okay, like, let's just have fun. We don't want to break any world records because we don't <laughs> want the target on our back leading in. We just want to get the plane ticket to Beijing and like get there. And I was like, world record. Like we had never discussed. Where did this come from? <laughs> right. And I'm like, are you joking? I'm already so nervous. And now you're going to talk about breaking world records. Like I was just, in my head, I was like, you're so stupid. Like, why would you talk about this now? Like, I don't need this. Um, and by the way, the world record was like eight seconds faster than my best time. So oh, really? Not like we were in like this parameter of like possibility at all. Um, so I kind of like really shrugged that off, went out and did this race. And it was the most confusing race of my life because the crowd was really loud. And I was like, okay, first real serious Olympic trials. So maybe it's just a bigger crowd, more entertainment. And I was so far in front of everybody else in the race that I thought, am I going really fast? Is everyone else going really slow? Like it was, yeah. it was super confusing. And I remember touching the wall and thinking, shit, that hurts so much more than it's ever hurt before. Like it must yeah. be pretty good. <laughs> and then, I must have done all right. Yeah, like obviously I did all right. And like the, I was sort of thinking in my head during the last couple of laps, like, oh my God, like I'm winning, which means like dreams are coming true, going to go to the Olympics. Like this is epic. Yeah. And um, touched the wall and turned around and the scoreboard was like world record. <laughs> and I couldn't even see my time because it was just flashing. <laughs> world record and everyone in the stands was cheering and I just turned around and saw it and went oh fuck <laughs> like, I had no idea that I was going to do that I obviously had no media training that yeah. thinking oh yeah be polished if that happened yeah. no it was super authentic and um I remember just being like totally blown away because I'd done an eight second best time or something like it was insane um and all of a sudden now, like, I'm actually the one to beat and I'd never been in that position before. And as an Aussie, that's really hard. Yeah. Um, but then I walked over to my coach afterwards and I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, broke the world record. This is the best ever. And he goes, I told you not to break the world record. And oh, I was like, oh, my At this point, I was like, I don't give a shit. Like, this is the best day of my life. Like, I'm not letting you rain on my parade. Yeah. Um, and then it, and then it really kind of hit me. Like four days later, I did my second race, also broke the world record. And by that time, I knew I was on. Like I was prepared, yeah. I was ready. I'm epic. Like, and um, and then it really hit me after the meet because it's three months now till I was about to head off for my first Olympics, and I just was like, oh, I've never prepared to as the one to beat. Yeah, like, I'm always prepared as the underdog, and I'm just about to go to like the pinnacle of sporting careers and I'm already going to be nervous and there's already a lot of pressure. And now like we've just amplified that by like yeah. 500. Um, and so really the next three months were more so about just physically maintaining what I had already done. I mean, no one's really making any big gains physically in three months. Yeah. Um, it was really about mentally preparing like for that scenario and handling all the media and all of the other stuff that went into it. And I just kept thinking, you know, if I prepare the best I can and know if I do all the work that I'll go there and be in the best possible position to deliver 
what I'm capable of on the day. Yeah. There was never a focus on an end result or, um, you know, world records, anything like that. And that's what everybody wanted out of yeah. me. Like, tell me you're going to win. And I oh, was like, exactly. you know what? Like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to answer that. Because <laughs> um, now I'm setting myself up to fail. I say, yeah, I'm going to win. And if I don't, I've failed. And if I do, it's like, oh yeah, great. You already said Yeah. That. So it's like, lose, lose. Um, yeah. And that was, that was really tough. But That's it, such it a great insight working out in the end <laughs> yeah it worked out all right in the end didn't it and, and you know I, I i love i love that you said that you didn't still to still have that well i think maybe deep down you might have been thinking i you know i love that gold medal you know but it, but not oh, sort yeah. of external. no one goes to the yeah. olympics to lose. <laughs> no, no, i know but like you're still uh, at least you you kept yourself in check you know you knew that you did everything right yeah and that's a great way to go in mentally prepared as well knowing that i've smashed at these trials i've done everything i can that just must have been a great way thinking for you knowing that you're going in with all this confidence as well yeah and i think it's a philosophy that was instilled in me through swimming that i'm just super appreciative for because everybody is always so focused on an end outcome or external gratification for something and that really is like the last like icing on the cake. And so if you're always focused on that, it's really hard to know where you stand. So I've always focused on the prep, the day-to-day, the little boxes that you tick and the building of the momentum. And then, and then not actually thinking about the reward, thinking if I go execute what I know I'm capable of, of course that would give me the reward. But if not, then that was the best I possibly could have done. Like there was no, I think the worst thing to do, especially from an athletic career. And I knew this really early on, like I, I couldn't, I could understand what the feeling would be of having regret and I never wanted to experience that. And so I just always, that's what pushed me day to day to day was that feeling of, I am not going to get there and come second and think, oh, sure, just that one training session where someone said, you know this, and I didn't. And it, it, like, that could be so small and I just never wanted to allow myself that knowing of I didn't really do everything. What a great mindset. And I can't wait to talk about mindset in a minute. That's awesome. Hey, the experience itself in Beijing, you, you were Australia's first Olympic gold medalist of the games and then again a new world record it must have been uh, just another whirlwind three to four days for you oh yeah it was insane i mean after winning my first gold um standing on the podium i remember thinking i don't know what to do like it's almost like being the new kid at school like i was just like i don't want people to know that i'm a fraud like um and I remember singing the anthem and thinking, shit, do you sing out loud or do you just like mouth the words? Because does the camera pick up my singing? <laughs> that was what I was thinking in my head. It was wow. like, yes, I have worked my ass off for this shit. Like it was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a girl um, from Brizzy. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know what to do here. And then, um, like, I mean, obviously I was just ex- extremely proud and excited and I just was writing this high for sort of two to three days and and it doesn't help when you're in a village where everybody that you see whether they're an Australian badminton player or someone from like the Russian (laughs) polo team or whatever it's like everyone's like congratulations like and so every time someone would say that you're like back in that like oh my god thank you like this is the best shit ever and my coach kept saying to me, like, we've got to downregulate because, you know, still got two races to go and you're going to totally, like, be flat if you're not recovering and taking care of yourself. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. Like, I just I kept trying and then I kept getting lifted back out of that kind of relaxed state. And I admire that so much in someone like a Michael Phelps who just had race after race after race and gold after gold after gold to be able to switch off and switch on. Like, I think that's really tough. Um, Anyway, no doubt, like I got sick. So two days later I was like completely congested, chest infection, like, and I had to do the heat and then the semi-final and I felt like crap, but just made it, did enough to sort of get through the semi into the final. And we had it then a full day before the final. So I kept thinking like, 
good night's sleep tonight, like yep. pump the multivitamins, like you'll be fine, like no worries. And then I woke up the next day and finals were in the morning in Beijing. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I feel worse than the day before. <laughs> and as an athlete, like that's the worst feeling because you – you're thinking like, I've done all this work. I just want to wake up on the day and feel good and feel ready. And to then not get that kind of confirmation out of your body, it's like, oh, great. Like, is this going to be awful? Like, and four years of prep as well, Steve. No, yeah, it's not like just the weekend <laughs> comp. Like, four years <laughs> of my life have gone into this. Um, and I remember thinking, like, thankfully I had already won a gold. So it was like, I didn't feel this need of, like, I haven't achieved something. Yeah. And I had a complete breakdown like two hours before the race, like crying to my coach. My coach was like probably oh, shitting God. his pants. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, and it, he just, I remember he said like a few things to me about other athletes that had competed under like a physical um, problem. And um, I remember thinking, well, my options here are to pull out of the final and not swim or swim and see hey go like and so I, I remember kind of walking out for the final and when I watch the footage back I can see it in my face I'm just very like blase like I'm not pumped up and ready like I was in the 400 it was like a hi I'm Stephanie this could be <laughs> total shit show and um <laughs> like it's just this nothing look and I remember just thinking like I just don't want to come last by a really long way and that would be a bit embarrassing, but like, whatever, if that's the case, like, so be it. So I had not even considered like winning at all. Um, and then I literally was behind for 199 <laughs> meters of the 200 meter race. And I just touched her out at the end. I remember so like, that actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 0 0.06 of a second or something. It was just nothing in it at all. And when I saw, I mean, obviously I was super thrilled to have won, but when I broke my own world record, so like I went faster than I've ever gone before and I never went faster than I did that day. And it was kind of this realization for me that we, and I hope this relates to other specialties, but it's like we all, we place so much importance on our physical ability and not necessarily our mindset and our like emotional, um, ability level and when you get to the pinnacle of a sporting career like that everybody is physically fit like like everyone to get to an olympics is already incredibly talented and have worked really hard so the difference is very minimal it just becomes a huge mental game and that really taught me that i can't look at how i feel and equate that as a direct equation to how i'm going to perform like how i feel actually has nothing to do with that and i need to stop comparing them or thinking that one equals the other because i've had races where i felt like crap and performed well and then i've had races where i felt awesome and performed yeah. like crap <laughs> and so it's like okay i need to stop sort of making that um that sort of that mindset connection. in my yeah. mind it's not real I, I i love that you mentioned that steph because because that, that that's such a great example of you getting through adversity while still being sick and then still pulling yourself together and going out there and performing the way you did. And, and you just mentioned it then in terms of your mindset. Like I'd love, and you touched on it, I'd love to understand yeah. your mindset. How do you train your mind for success? Is it, is it your positive self-talk? Is it your um, visualising that you're going to touch that wall first? Like how do you train your mind for, for success? I think it's a few of those things that you mentioned. Um, I definitely think visualizing was a huge thing that I did without really knowing that it was a mindset um, tool. So every night before bed, I would imagine myself there and I would try and involve as many of the senses as possible. So um, I would imagine walking out behind the blocks, what the crowd would sound like, what the air was like, like, was it cold? Was it warm? Um, how I would feel. And that was the biggest one because I think it's easy to go, Oh my God, I'd be so nervous. Yeah. And I kept trying to imagine like, I feel ready. I feel good. It gives me goosebumps talking about it. Um, <laughs> like hearing the crowd and, and just kind of like being in that moment. And then I would imagine like the start and a little bit of the race and how I'd feel 
in the race, like I'd feel strong and powerful and in control. And then the visualizing would end. So I never got to the end of a race and then I never imagined what the result would be. It was very much a process driven visualization and it would be almost the same almost every day that I would do it. And I put no pressure on myself to have to do it. Um, and you know, what I read now is about visualizing is just that your mind like, and all the neurons fire in the exact same way as if it was actually happening in real life you can do it with exercise like imagining you're lifting the heaviest weight you've ever lifted and your whole neurons and body fire in that way as if you were actually doing it and so then when you go and you like for me going to the olympics it was like i've been here before i know what this is about um that was a really big one for me without really knowing um Uh, the other thing I would do is I would always track my sessions. Um, we had a, we call it a log book. So I would write the session and then like, you know, one to two sentences after each session, how I felt. And um, because I would do it just out of someone told me to do it. Like a coach told me to do it when I was like 12 and I just kept doing it. Um, Routines. Yeah. Yeah. I love a routine, but um. It was what, what I found really interesting is our minds are so geared to focus on what went wrong. And um, when we would finish a week, like Saturday morning, we've done nine swimming sessions, three gym sessions, four dry land. Like I've done about 20 sessions. Yes. So I don't remember what happened on Tuesday very clearly because it's now Saturday and I've done so much since then. And so it was always really easy for me to focus on Thursday Arvo. I was like crap and I didn't hit my times. And that was what I would remember at the end of the week. And I would feel like in my head, like it was an all right week. And then my coach and I would look through the logbook and be like, hang on a minute, you did like the best session you've ever done on Monday. And, you know, Tuesday was this and Saturday was great. So, and then I'd be like, oh, actually, like it was a good week. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think that kind of like tracking or ability to um, like look at something um, analytically and not emotionally and just really like look at it all very like maths um, always really helped me because I think my mind always would go to negative and a lot of people's minds do. So it's nice to be reinforced of what went right. Yep. No, absolutely. Oh, that's a great insight, Steph. And, and I think talking about the power of the mind, you, you were dealt a huge setback with your shoulder injury in the lead up to London 2012. I mean, that takes incredible courage to push through that. And then, I mean, can you, can you touch on that moment in your career where you had that shoulder injury and, and you, still, you still fought through it um, and, and went through to London and still did a gr- an amazing job, you know? Um, can you talk us through that? Yeah, so it was basically a huge roller coaster, like coming off the back of Beijing, um, you know, I was riding this high. We took all this time off. I just needed a huge physical and mental break, which didn't really feel like one because I was traveling Australia doing all this media stuff. Um, and and then I kind of got back and I think because I'd taken so long off and I hadn't ever taken that sort of six weeks off swimming before, mm. um, uh, my body was just like, I mean, I put, I put on six kilos in six weeks. It didn't really help. Um, and with swimming, um, like all sport is about like muscle conditioning, right? Yeah. And so um, when you do like a land sport, you're still like walking and running or jogging. You're still activating those muscles you are, all the time. Yeah in off season just yeah. not to that level whereas swimming like you don't do that movement anywhere in normal life no. so it was basically like my muscles had had this like six weeks totally off and then getting back into it I just I think with the extra weight and everything going on um, my shoulder just really started like flaring up and so it was basically really bad all 2009 season so all the next year and then I prepared all right for the Commonwealth Games and um, it just kept getting, my shoulders kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so I decided to pull out of the Commonwealth Games to have surgery because okay. 2000 and like Commonwealth Games is great, but it's not the pinnacle of what I'm trying to do here. So yeah. 
it was like, if I sacrifice this, then I'll be ready for the meet in two years. And so I did that and then kind of was progressing nicely. Like after that, getting better and better, it took probably a year. And then, um, it was really starting to feel really good. And then I was stretching, um, like six months out of the London Olympics. I literally was just doing arm swings and I fling my arm back and I'm hypermobile, but it was like, not even some dramatic thing like but it wasn't even a stretch it was like mobility like i was just swinging my arm and i was like oh shit that hurt and then my whole arm felt dead like i heard like a sort of a crack but it wasn't like this excruciating pain it just felt dead and numb and then hurt when i was swimming so i was like oh go to the physio and then got a scan and i remember so clearly like the physio coming to me after the scan and going like so you've torn the tendon in your subscap and I was like okay so like no training the sub or <laughs> like, like I just didn't I was like oh so take a rest for today like yeah. and he was like no like like the, t- the tendon's broken so you need to like have surgery I was like surgery like I don't have time for surgery and he's like yeah and the surgery is like a six month recovery so like it's like basically four months out of the pool and the Olympics is in six months so I was like uh, and the trials were in three so you have to go to the trials and qualify before going to the Olympics I I, I can't like I can't have a surgery like I don't have time for that and so I have like a very small cleanup surgery just to try and make it as okay as possible. But basically I swam for six months with like a broken shoulder (laughs) and um, qualified for London and did all right actually, like I was sort of in the top three of the world. And then it was basically like the last two months leading into London, it just got worse and worse and worse. Mm. And I was doing, um, before Beijing, I was doing about 60 kilometers a week in the water. And then before London, I was doing 30 kilometers a week. So I was doing half of the workload. Um, and then like, just to add just a little bit more to it, like I got food poisoning a week before London and so couldn't swim for three days. And so I basically started London with this, like, (laughs) this is going to be shit. (laughs) And like literally in my head, it was like, what more could go wrong? Like, I can't keep fighting this. Like I'm so drained emotionally trying to fight and like something going wrong and being like, it's okay. Like you can do it. I was like, I just have nothing left. Like that was a feeling I had inside. My soul was like, I can't do anymore. And I just was so looking forward to the meeting being over. Mm. Like I was like, can't wait till this is done because I'm exhausted. And so London was not really an enjoyable competition for so many reasons like obviously not performing well but just i was just not ready yeah yeah you needed a you needed the pandemic to happen seriously i needed a pandemic so (laughs) bad (laughs) how would that that's a great actually i've just come up i just tell myself and come up with a great question (laughs) how would how would um swimmers feel now that they're not swimming now and they're now it's a year's time like how would that affect their preparation i suppose well, I think you um, you already know the answer to that because it's like if you're an athlete that has prepared well, yeah. you're pissed because you have been doing all the work, you've been ticking all the boxes and you were focused on this outcome that was coming in, you know, four or five months. Yeah. Um, so then not having having that sort of ballpark moved a year, you're like, I have to do all this like for another year? Like, mm. I, I don't know if I'm capable of keeping this level that long. Um, and then for the athletes that haven't really been preparing as well, well as they probably know they should have they're they're relieved yeah so i think um for the top athletes it would be really really tough mm. and for the sort of and i don't mean to sound rude but for the average sort of top athlete um who was to be honest never going to get a gold medal anyway because they don't have that elite mindset yeah. they probably like have a chance to mm. actually realize like oh my god this is a second chance and what do I want to do and reset the goals. And so I think it would be really, really tough. Mm, yeah. I can imagine. Steph, you retired soon after at the young age of 24. Um, how difficult was the transition away from being a professional athlete, you know, in terms of 
Um, I'm big on this at the moment in terms of finding yourself, discovering your purpose, your identity, um, knowing what you know fulfills you as a person. Like, how, how was your transition away from being a professional athlete? Um, yeah, it was awful. Like, it was really, really hard. Um, and because this was like 2012, that there wasn't the information out there or the focus on mental health that there is now. So um, I found it really hard for a couple of reasons. One, I never had a plan B. Like I didn't prepare as an athlete with like a backup plan if this doesn't work out. Like I didn't go to university. I finished grade 12 with like a high school certificate. I didn't even get like an OP because I, uh, or whatever it's called now, because um, I, I, I was training like yeah. during school hours. So I did three subjects. So I didn't, and it was like, I'm doing three subjects at school because I'm preparing for the Olympics. Like exactly. this, that, that's why I'm here. I'm only yeah. here because I have to tick the box of going to school. Like <laughs> this is not a career path for me. Yeah. So, um, and I just knew that so early on. And so for all those reasons, when I finished, um, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do now. Um, two, I finished with obviously what we were just talking about with London and I was just exhausted emotionally, like physically I was screwed and needed to have surgery, but emotionally I was just to like totally tapped out. Yeah. So it took me a long time to like build that back up again. Um, and I just kept thinking in my mind and I don't know where this came from, but the, what I achieved in sport would be the pinnacle of my life. Like that was the highest high and the biggest achievement that was going to happen to me in my life. Yeah. And I was like, and so everything from here is downhill. Mm. And I just remember thinking like, so <laughs> why? <laughs> like, am I literally going to live? Like I'm 24. So am I going to have the next like 50 to 60 years be shit compared yeah. to whatever I'd experienced? And that was what I believed. Like I totally believed that to be the truth. Mm. So um, that was really hard to work around. Uh, outside of that, I... I never had a passion for anything else. Like my swimming was my passion. So yeah. I didn't have like hobbies. I still don't have hobbies, like, <laughs> but I didn't know like where to focus my energy. So I feel like I had two years of like having surgery, rebuilding energetically, like, okay, this is my new life. But then I was like, now I've got this energy and I don't know where to put it because mm -hmm. I don't have something that I'm enjoying that I want to work towards. Like I don't have a passion um, I had stuff that I could do and I was busy, but I wasn't like, this is so rewarding. <laughs> you know what, Steph, you're not alone. Like it's so common. Yeah. Like all these elite athletes have the same issue. Not yeah. that's an issue, but it's, uh, um, that's just, they go through the exactly same thing, don't they? And they, they, yeah. they've been so focused on their sporting career and their career as an identity, as a sports person. And then when they leave, it, it's so hard to know what to do and, and and the fear I suppose because I haven't ever reached uh, Olympic Games like yourself or the pinnacle from a sporting sense but that adrenaline that you would have felt in the pool and winning those medals those world records to then think oh god how, I'm never going to get that type of feeling again like what am I going to yeah. do I think it would be like not too dissimilar to like and this isn't like a great explanation but like being a drug addict and you have had these highs and this huge feeling and then finishing that and going through withdrawal would be like transitioning out of sport. And then you're like, got to find your new norm. Like mm. this is no longer, I can't go back there. Like that's done. And that was the other thing for me. It wasn't like, Oh, I could just make a comeback. I'm <laughs> like, it's going <laughs> to end at some point. And these skills don't transfer over to like, workforce like mm -hmm. some of the mental skills definitely transfer over but like my physical skill set doesn't <laughs> mean anything <laughs> in the yeah. business world so it was like okay i need to find like new stuff um mm -hmm. and you know i'm i'm really happy that there is more focus on athlete transition now and mental health yep. um but i often get asked like so 
in hindsight, like, you know, would you be advocating for athletes to be working on, you know, their education or doing a degree or something like whilst they're competing? And I'm like, no, like the, the, if you want to be the best in the world at something, you cannot have a backup plan. Like that's not, cause essentially the way I see it is if you've got an energy tank of a hundred percent and you're putting like 60 into sport and 40 into a degree, well, someone else is putting a hundred into sport and they're going to be better. So, um, you really have to be like singularly focused to be the best in the world. If you want to be like the sixth best in the world, then yeah you can split your energy um it for me it's like don't change that channeled focus to be the best rather just cushion the fall for afterwards and have people in place or systems in place that help people through the transition and help i think for me it was like help understand what i'm feeling because i kept feeling very alone in that feeling like no one else understands no one gets it and i think a big part of that was because i was the only person to have achieved like the level of success that i had so people wouldn't really understand that because they hadn't achieved the highs <laughs> um and so yeah that was hard but now i think it's great that there is other stuff in place i, I love that analogy steph that's so that's so um and for everyone else listening out there they'll they'll take so much away from that in terms of challenge challenge channeling <laughs> their energy into like you know to be the best they can be they have to put it all all their eggs in one basket so to speak and then yeah. And then, you know, once that's done, then, you know, try to start discovering themselves. So, so Steph, what, what does, gets you excited today? What makes you happy today? Uh, um, I have really been struggling through quarantine for those reasons, because I, um, like I sort of really discovered like two years ago, I actually love my work as a brand ambassador. Like it's something that I've always had, but, um, over the years I've been able to refine it. I, I operate that work as a business because it is my business. Um, so I'm, I'm across basically all aspects of any deal that I do, the negotiation and then the like fruition of then completing the the deal. Um, but I love, like, I love travel. I love, um, speaking and I love engaging with people. And I think I represent, like I only work with brands that I actually have a, uh, internal like value set connection, not just, I definitely have never done anything for money and I never will. Mm. But, um, if it's like, I can relate to you and I want to help you support, make this message and this product bigger because I believe in it, then I get to do it. And I love doing that. And so then I guess like, I love speaking. I love sharing. Um, because it always makes me feel very fulfilled knowing you've kind of give Mm. back in some way um and so i felt like i was like had done all this huge personal development work at like finding what you love and and going after it i'm like i did that i did all that self-help work and i knew what i loved and i crafted my life around what i love and now all of that is stopped or on pause because you know, there is no events, there is no travel. And so it's all this social media and I'm just like social media. I, I just, Mm. (laughs) I find it really hard. I don't think I would have a platform if I didn't have to as Mm. an ambassador for brands, because I just feel so much of it is like this external validation and superficial and everything that I basically value the opposite of, like I value depth and integrity and all of this stuff. And so, um, yeah, I have struggled. I have been trying to, I also, um, and I know I'm sort of going on, sorry, but I have been, um, not wanting to do something just because this is now happening. Hmm. Like there's a lot of people that are like, well, because I can't do that, I'm going to, um, do this new thing or study this new whatever and I I think oh great but I'm not gonna like I'm not going to do something for six months and then when things resume be like okay well that's it now like I want to do some yeah like I want to do something that's actually going to have longevity or purpose post pandemic love it yeah and so for those reasons I'm like yes there is like literally millions of things that I could do and sometimes that is the issue is that I have a lot of skills that would be good like not great but good at a lot of things but I'm like but 
when things resume and I want to go back to what I love doing, um, like, will I still use this? No. (laughs) So then I'm like, well, then I don't want to do it. Um, Like there's no purpose in doing it. So yeah, I've sort of been struggling in that way, doing a lot of reading, a lot of um, interest in investment and business and entrepreneurship, um, which I feel that will, you know, be useful in time, but it's, yeah. it, feels a, it feels a bit wishy-washy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Stan, I reckon you're doing some amazing work in that space and, and you have your magical mentoring program on your website, stephanierice.com.au. Um, you have a motto, be the best that you can be. Um, which I love, and I truly. Yeah, I've noticed think, you say it a few times, actually. Well, uh, you know that, that has come out naturally, and, and yeah. I haven't. No, I know, but <laughs> I like that. Oh, uh, good. But I truly believe, um, you know, I think that career path suits you, and so, and because you're so energetic, you're positive, you've had all this experience, um, and and clearly you're so easy to talk to <laughs> as well. But, but <laughs> Steph, how how important is it to you? And you did just touch on it there. Is okay finding balance in your life. And, and I love what you spoke about then in terms of your values. Like I'm, I love, I don't know, you, you might've seen it or not, but Matthew McConaughey has, has done this speech and he talks about his five values and, you know, making sure whether they're in a credit or debit section, section each, mm, maybe each day cool. or each week. So he's got family, friends, career, relationship, health and fitness. And I love that because you can check in on it each week or however often you want to do it and work out where, where you are, you know, and where can, yeah. you know, if I'm not giving to my fitness, if that's in the debit, oh, shit, I need to bring that back up again. What, how important to you is it to find that type of balance in your life? Yeah, everyone's searching for it. And I think everyone's trying to find like that that balance. <laughs> but there isn't necessarily like a um like a zero point Mm. like it's not as if it's continually moving and evolving and changing as to what is balance for you at this specific time so um i think that's where everyone sort of thinks okay routine is balance like when i exercise have my smoothie do my meditation and then get you know four hours of work and then you know daddy time or mummy time like that is me in balance but in reality that's not possible every day no um and so then you feel when the routine is off that you haven't got balance and i I think that they're two separate entities um I think you can have things that you do every day that make you feel good and make you like primed to be your best. Um, And for me, those are things I value. Um, But I also then have adaptability and flexibility. If I can't do those things, that that doesn't mean that the days are right off or this wasn't a good day. Um, I think that, uh, yeah. So for me, like the balance thing is super important. Values I think are, knowing what your values are and actually um, having them in some kind of priority list because no value is the same. Like you don't have the same weight of every value um, the, and, and kind of operating them. I know when I did Tony Robbins course in America, he talked about values and then your like pros and cons or beliefs around the value. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, like I value health is my highest priority and my highest value and everybody should because without it, then you have nothing and doesn't the family time and everything doesn't mean anything if you don't have have health. health. So really like he was talking about how that, that should be everyone's priority. But then what I thought was important was what do you need to do to equal you feeling like you've hit the health box. And that was where I realized, oh, my expectations for what this is are unachievable. Like um, if, if for me, valuing health as my highest priority means I have to exercise an hour a day, get fresh air, have a green smoothie and meditate. And if I don't do any one of those four things, then I haven't hit the Mm -hmm. value point of health then it means that you're constantly feeling like you haven't achieved anything and that you're letting yourself down and you're letting other people down. And so it was kind of about making it really easy for you to tick the box and making it really hard for you to feel like you failed. And working through that emotionally was so helpful because I realized 
I have these unrealistic expectations and it's not necessary and it's not helping me. Um, so yeah, I definitely value health and I definitely value, um, like I want to talk, I want to call it connection, whether yeah. that's family or good friends and it's depth of connection. Um, like I would feel after we finish this, that I've hit that quota today. Cause I feel <laughs> like we've like, you know, there's that's great there's yeah, and it's like being really fulfilling. Um, I also need growth. Like growth mm. is the biggest tick for me. I need to feel as though I'm progressing or learning or improving myself in some way in yeah. any category. Yeah. Um, and I know like at the time of becoming a mom at some point that would be up there as my highest priority. But yeah. whilst that's non-existent, then <laughs> I'll just keep it off the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something you can work towards. <laughs> exactly. I've got something to work towards. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Sam, I'm so conscious of time and I've got so many more questions, but I just... Oh, go um, for it. I have nothing else on. So. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, great. Um, I want to know, and this is a little bit... Um, different to what we've just been speaking about. What goes through your mind now when you see a swimming pool? Like, do you think, oh, oh God. So I've seen, I keep seeing it behind you. <laughs> do you know what? That is. And a, I'm like. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They're my frames. So that's um, Bono Icebergs. I've got another one, which is Bronte Pool, which is my favourite, you know, like, so, yeah, sorry about that. I noticed. No, no, it, I, do you know okay. what? I noticed it when I said The anxiety. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, do you... yeah, that's what I think about when yeah, I see There you go. Okay, that's it. Question it, done. It's weird. So I see both. It's like, so um, if I see a pool and just am there for, so I definitely don't go to a pool for any type of leisure or pleasure. Yeah. It's like this was always very purpose-driven. Yeah. I also don't really like the beach that much. Um, I like it if I go, but I don't really want to go. Like I don't ever have that craving of like, Ooh, need to get in the beach. <laughs> I don't really like sand and I it's don't everywhere. Really think that my hair needs to get wet unnecessarily. Like the joy that I get out of that does not really do anything mm. different that I could do not getting in the water. <laughs> um, I do enjoy, so I don't, I don't like going to the pool. Um, I don't necessarily look forward to it, but when I have been struggling um, in any kind of capacity, like don't really know what I want to do or I'm starting something new and I feel like I'm not picking up the skill fast enough or whatever it is and I'm just not feeling super confident, I do try to go to the pool because it's yeah. like as soon as I get in the pool, I realise like, I am fucking epic at this. Like, <laughs> and that feeling will never go away. <laughs> like, it's like, and, and so it kind of brings back that realisation to me that, like, I am awesome at something. Mm. And even though I'm not as fast as I was or anything like that, that's not what I'm trying to be. It's like just that feeling of being in the water and doing something that you know you're really good at yep. brings back all those juices that I need. Yeah, and it's reaffirming, so, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of is like, okay, I've got this. Mm. Um, so yeah, like just to go, I definitely don't, but whenever I do go, I'm always grateful that I did go because it makes yeah. me feel really good. No, absolutely. Hey Steph, who's been your biggest influence on your life? Um, I think my coach for sure, Michael Ball. Um, I moved to him when I was 14 and, um, I, it was like a big step up in terms of my career. Like he had a very senior program and I wasn't, I was still like in a junior level. So it was like, this is real and this is now professional versus I was just having a bit more fun before. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, from a coaching philosophy and everything, like he knew so much more than me and he definitely guided me towards my career he also believed that I was capable of doing it which is so important to have a mentor mm. that actually believes you can do what you're trying to do yeah. um and it was so we would have disagreements like quite frequently um <laughs> but it was like but we were both working towards a common goal so it was like I can I can hear your feedback and your criticism because I know that it's for my improvement. And it's coming um, from a good place. Like, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. But also I think sometimes like, and this is another thing that I guess annoys me a bit in today's world is like everyone's so focused on being politically correct and not upsetting anyone's feelings. Mm. And that doesn't then really allow growth. Like 
I, there were times when, not that he would be like rude, but you just tell me how it is and give it to me bluntly. And sometimes I just needed to hear that. Yeah. And, and then it was like enough of a frustration that it lifted me to a new level. Um, and I think as a mentor, that balance is so important. Like being encouraging enough that you want them to rise to the next level, but, but giving criticism that's not going to then yeah. totally dampen your self-esteem. Um, and so, yeah, super, super grateful for him. He also was very like laid back and relaxed and fun. And I was more intense and um, like go, go, go-ish. And There's so a real balance there as well then. Yeah. yeah. And so we, I needed that in particular at competition time because I was then, you know, like over anxious or what if this goes wrong or, you know, what about this? And I'm not sure if I feel good. And he was like, let it go. <laughs> and I was like, no, like don't let it go. I need to talk about this. And um, he was always just like, and it would piss me off so much, but he was like, oh, well, you know, no mm. worries. Or yeah. so what if you come second? Oh, well. And I was like, Oh, well, like <laughs> it's not as casual as that, but he's a, he balanced me emotionally and I needed that for sure to get the best out of myself come competition time. And um, yeah, so he, and I think, and then I think um, to sort of add to that as a female, it was so beneficial to have a male role model slash mentor from the ages of sort of 15 through to 24 because it's a huge time of your development and yeah. your belief system and everything Absolutely. like that. And, yeah. um, and I think for me having a male was so beneficial because like I, I realized like, and, and I feel sad for women that haven't really had that influence for a man that is nothing to do with romance or interest in you as a female it's not sexual it's like no i'm your mentor and we're doing this together it has nothing to do with your looks or external validation it's like you as a person and i yeah. feel women have that in their father generally and hopefully but outside of that you sort of don't have that relationship exactly. ever and so for me, it's like being great because almost everybody that I work with in a professional capacity has been a man, whether that was an agent or a lawyer or an accountant. And then all my best friends are females. And I just am so grateful to have had that relationship yeah. because you don't really get that ever. Nah, it seems like a very Otherwise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Steph, um, final couple of questions. And this is something that I ask all my guests. Um, okay. Three life lessons or pieces of advice that you would pass on to those wanting to follow their dreams? Um, the three life lessons that you might have picked up. <laughs> um, I think, I think uh, the biggest one for me has been um, reflection. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of about self-reflection and also then professional reflection. Um, always taking the time to look back and go, how did I do today? Did I do that well? Is there something I could have improved on? What was I feeling like? Like anything, just asking yourself those questions is really important. And then actually applying what you've listened to or what you've come up yeah. with. And from a professional sense, I would do that like through analyzing and rewatching my race or rewatching my speech or whatever that is, asking for feedback from somebody who is yeah. higher skilled yeah. and say like, how did, and I always would take time to do that unemotionally, not like right after I've done a race, yeah. but maybe like two hours later, how did I go? And we pick apart three things. And I think that's really important not to overwhelm yourself. Just pick three things. And then the next time you do it and try to then redo that event quite soon in succession, maybe a day later and apply those three things. For me, like the, that was the biggest gift that I take post sport into work wow. life okay. because, um, yeah, I always rewatch every interview, every speech, anything I do. And then I always ask the people that I know will give me real feedback, not, Oh yeah, you were great. That's how like, you grow, right? Isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. 
And I'm, I, I don't want the, yeah, you're great. Like I actually want, like, I'm here to improve. Like I want to yeah. be better next time. That is my goal. So I'm better for you and I'm better for me. And so give me something to work on. And that has always been super powerful, but sometimes you don't have that person and then you need to be that person for yourself. And I think being able to analyze yourself without being super attached to the emotion of it so that you can actually take on critique. That's a skill that everybody should build. Absolutely. That's the, if, and if you keep reminding yourself, the reason I'm trying to give myself this feedback is because I want to be better Then it doesn't really matter what's said. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. Hey Steph, I just want to acknowledge you for being, you know, your incredible swimming career. Um, you've brought so much joy to Australians. Um, and I know that you've inspired so many young girls out there to follow in your footsteps too. So, um, you know, you have such an infectious personality. I, I love the path of personal development and growth that you're on now. And um, you should be super proud of the person that you've turned out to be. So, um, yeah, I really think, you know, your determination to succeed, your powerful mindset and, you know, for for living life, um, as you say, to the best that you can be (laughs) and doing so with a big smile on your face. Steph, I reckon that you're you're just such a star and it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. That's so lovely for you to say. It means a lot. No, it really does mean a lot. So thank you. I've seriously had a lot of fun. Hey, Steph, where can people find you? Um, basically anywhere on social media at it's Steph Rice. Yep. Um, and then my website and everything is linked on there. StephanieRice.com.au. Um, those are the easiest ways to get in contact. Okay, cool. And final question. <laughs> what, what is your definition of success? Oh God. Just finished with like the biggest <laughs> question. Um, definition of success. I think uh, it's for me, it's for sure about feeling fulfilled. Um, I definitely like having some kind of external gratification. I think a lot of people do. Um, but success can, for me now means less about the reward and more about how I feel in the process of it and being filled up inside. Cause I know when I have days where I feel like I've really contributed or done something to give back or done something I love, I finish the day with contentment and that to me is an end success. Amazing. I love it. Thanks so much, Steph. No worries. I, I can't give you a, a fist pump or a hug. <laughs> I'll give you a wave. Thanks so much for coming on and you're a star and, uh, yeah, thank you so much again. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow, what a fun interview that was with the amazing Stephanie Rice, triple Olympic gold medalist and world record holder. Steph is just so down to earth and really is such an energy giver. There were some inspiring messages to take away from today, including the importance of believing in yourself, committing 100% to your goals or dreams, making sure we reflect, learn and grow, But how about how Steph defines success as finding fulfillment and joy in what you were doing? It really was such a pleasure to have Steph on. And just a reminder, guys, if you enjoyed this episode today, please share it with your friends, tag me on Instagram and subscribe to Apple iTunes and Spotify accounts so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, you guys know what to do. Get out there. Face those fears and live those dreams. You'll be okay.